what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV, our podcast network home. Foot Candle Films, I'm Alan. This is Chris across from me. Hello, podcast land. Chris, we feeling okay today? Yes. Got a lot to talk about. Um, got a big festival coming up. Oh, People is that coming listening up? to this hopefully <laughs> have heard about. Yes. Yeah. No, we, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the festival in a moment. We do have our, our third annual Foot Candle Film Festival coming up September 22nd through the 24th. So by the time you're hearing this, it may have already passed. But if you're catching this right when we release the episode, hopefully uh, you still got some time to make a trip to Western North Carolina and join us. We'll talk about that here in a little bit when we break for some announcements. But first off, let's talk about what we're actually going to be doing for the bulk of this show, which is, of course, Foot Candle Films is our review show and discussion about films and movies uh, Chris and I have seen and would like to recommend or not recommend in some situations. But today we've got three movies that we're actually going to talk about, kind of in a little different format. We have one film that both Chris and I have seen and are going to review jointly. That is the documentary Step. Then we're going to move on to a review of Logan Lucky, which will be delivered by Mr. Chris Fry since I have not seen the film. <laughs> then we're going to reverse the tables and talk about the latest uh, uh, Stephen King adaptation, the film It, which I will review because Chris has not seen. Well, I was just going to make stuff up, but okay. That's probably a <laughs> No, no, no. That's okay. I mean, if you want to make it up, I mean, I'm sure you can probably guess on some of the beats of the film, but uh, we'll just let me talk about it and you can just throw questions at me. How, how does that That's work? That's probably a better Good. approach. So we're going to talk about those three films in order and then we're going to move on to some movie news in the middle of the episode and we are going to end the show with a recommendation, something each of us wants to recommend. You go out and check out. Uh, I actually am recommending something positively this time, Chris. I know I've Excellent. kind of broken the record, uh, the model a little bit the last few episodes by actually kind of unrecommending a show. Right. Uh, I did have a couple people reach out to me about Passengers, which is the film I believe I quasi-recommended last episode, yes. at least from a curiosity standpoint. Right. I take it you have not seen. I still haven't caught up with that. I, right. I want to, though. We will review that discussion, but I appreciate anybody who has sent in some of their feedback. Um, I agree with a couple of you. I do not agree with the other couple of you. So I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> leave it not in a mystery. Names. That's right. Uh, so let's get into our show with our first review. It is the documentary directed by first-time uh, feature film director Amanda Lippitz, and it is uh, the film Step. We're in Baltimore City. They come home to no lights, not having food in the refrigerator, not having a refrigerator at all. But when they come to step practice, all of those things are erased out of their mind. So they can make it through life. Come up there screaming and yelling at you just stepping. We making music with our bodies. My mother is annoying. And I just like, mom, I chill sometimes. I'm kind of an introvert. I'm just everything that step is not. I'm not very dramatic, but all those parts come out of me when I step. Chris, the documentary Step documents the entire senior year of a girl's high school uh, graduating class, about to graduate class. This is a school that is a charter school that a select group by, by, uh, by lottery 
were chosen to be able to attend this school. And it is an inner city Baltimore school. It is designed for young African-American women primarily. And the whole goal is to get them to college. I mean, they have a goal stated at this school. And this being the first graduating class from the school, our goal is 100% of you go to college. Along the way, though, they have formed a step dance team uh, back in sixth grade. They formed it. It has gone to competitions. It had some great success for years. It supposedly has dropped in quality to some degree, or at least in its ability to win competitions in the last two years. So now this is the senior year. This is their final year. If they're going to win the big Bowie State competition, this is the year to do it, while also facing the pressures of applying to college and trying to plan the next stage of their life. We follow three of the students. Uh, We meet a lot of the team, but mostly follow three students, and we get to examine both their home life, the relationship with their mothers, and also get to see the pressures they're under with their own schoolwork or aspirations for the future. Chris, it's a relatively short documentary, an hour, 20 minutes, and we do cover three, three characters. One, I would say, probably gets a lot more screen time than the other two, and that's Blessing Garado. She is uh, kind of the captain, I guess, of the step team. She's the founder of the step team, and she's the one that we spend probably the most time with learning about her home environment and where she's going in the future. But we also have some good time spent with Corey Granger and uh, Taylor Solomon, two other girls on the step team as well. Chris, with it being a relatively short documentary, but we have three characters to follow their home lives, and we've got a lot of different things happening at the same time. There's the step competition. There's the college. There's the home uh, home life situation. For relatively re- shorter, shorter than we're used to seeing normally runtime. Sure. Do you feel like the film does a great job of telling us the story we need to hear about these girls and what's going on at this school? Hmm. Yes. The short answer is yes. Okay. Um, because of the short runtime, I feel like, um, you know, the documentary did move. It wasn't slow. It moved. Um, but I was left with wanting more, I guess, because normally with documentaries, I'm used to longer runtime. So you get more information. Mm-hmm. Um, I have heard of a step team before, mm-hmm. but was not really familiar with kind of, the, I guess, the background, the origins of how they came about, like why they started. Um Generally in a documentary, you get a little bit of that. And maybe I didn't need a whole like half an hour explanation, but I would have liked to know like, why did this school decide to start one? You're told they started one and then you just move. Grant, like you're saying, they chose to focus on just this senior year. Mm-hmm. Um, but with these three girls, they kind of make passing references to things that have happened in the past. And they just sounded like they were really interesting. For instance, for instance you mentioned kind of the main character, mm-hmm. although these are real people, so they're not characters, but one of the main interviews was bless him. Mm-hmm. The year prior to this, she got kicked off the step team. Mm-hmm. That seems to be some interesting things as to how that happened. Also the captain of the staff or the, I guess the faculty member that is the coach mm-hmm. of the step team. She says in a very kind of like, Hey guys, like on their first day of practice, I'm your new step coach. Mm-hmm. And you're like, huh? Well, wonder what happened to the old one. Wonder mm-hmm. what, so there, hmm. it left you left me with some questions. And I guess normally in a film, a narrative film, that's actually a good thing. I like to kind of be curious or something. But with a documentary, I'm looking for facts and I'm looking for information. Mm-hmm. Granted, this window into the lives of these three girls 
very interesting. Their mm-hmm. home lives, very interesting, challenging. So did I like it? Yes. But from a documentary, I generally expect a little bit more meat. So. Um, all right. Well, let me – I've seen the film twice. So okay. there's one of the things you mentioned that I can actually point out. Okay. You were asking about Blessing being kicked off the team the previous year. It was for grades. She said that her grades fell down to a certain GPA level, and they have a GPA threshold that you have to maintain for the year to stay on the team. So she was not on the team last year because of grades. I think they get a fresh start each year, but they have to sure. be able to stay on there. Sure. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I mean, like I said, kind of just passing the image. Oh, yeah, my grades dropped down. But because of these girls' home lives, and particularly with Blessing, her grades have problems again this year. Mm-hmm. Um, their family life components, and I don't, I don't know. Like, there again, I feel like there's much more You were thinking there was maybe a little more interesting story there. Right. And granted, you know, these are real-life people. Yeah. So I guess in many respects, they've got to respect their privacy. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, Blessing spe- specifically, her mom... Um, is a very interesting person Mm -hmm. and you learn some information about her and her family life. And you just, I couldn't help but wonder, was that playing into last year? You know, you just, this such a rich story. So it's a documentary that actually posed you more questions at the end than you probably would like to have. Right. Which I, I didn't come away with that same feeling of wanting more. I would have liked more just because I'll, I'll go on record. i Love this film. I thought it was great. I thought it was a really, really well-made documentary. Would I have liked more? Yes. But it's only because I really enjoyed spending time with these characters and getting to know them. And yes, there were some moments where I'm like, huh, I bet there's an interesting backstory there. But it's also one of those things where I wonder, okay, that may that very well could be a whole nother half hour or hour long uh, story into it, possibly. It, it didn't it, bother it me. me. <laughs> it didn't affect me uh, sure. to think that I was missing something that I was supposed to have. Um, but I, uh, I, I personally thought it was a great, great film. Uh, I do have a couple of misgivings with it that I think kept it from being, you know, a, a perfect documentary. But, uh, I think overall the content matter, the, the subject matter, the three families they chose to follow. And I'm, I'm fairly certain that they followed more families during the filming and just decided these three were the ones where they had the best Interesting stories. And maybe they just watered down the process too much, so they didn't have a lot of depth on them because they interviewed 12 people, and then they yeah. had to just filter it. So maybe that's the case. I don't know the production schedule. If they said, yeah. these, nope, these three, this is it, this is what we're following, I think that's pretty risky when you have what looked like 20 girls on the step team that you could have followed. Um, well, and so- saying that too, you know, I felt like of the three – Blessin was so far time was spent on her justifiably. So mm. she was very interesting. She had but the most interesting story. Taylor and Corey, I felt like had some interesting aspects too. I believe it was Taylor whose mom was a police or a correctional officer. She works at the prison. Yes. Yeah. Correctional and officer. so I felt like there was a lot of, lot of stuff there. A little that bit of missed opportunity. I thought, I thought Taylor's mom was a, also a very interesting character. Very charismatic and very charismatic. And very, at one point you think that she's just the, annoying overprotective mother. And then you find out she's also a correctional officer. She has a very healthy relationship with the police in Baltimore, which plays a little bit against what we were seeing topically. Of course, this being Baltimore and this happened right after the Freddie Gray, um, um, death in which the, is addressed really, in the film really polarized a lot of the city and, and, and especially the African American community really galvanized them a lot. Sure. So 
there were some missed opportunities. I agree. I mean, this honestly could have been almost like a short Netflix series of like six episodes and really going through a lot more detail on these girls in their senior year for an hour, 24 minute documentary. I thought it was really good and I would have loved more, but I didn't feel like that took away my enjoyment of it as a film on its own. Um, the things I liked about it, I'll say that I, I'm always, I always admire documentaries that take a risk and this one did because they had to make a decision at the beginning of the senior year. Are we going to invest the time, energy, and resources to follow these students all throughout the year? Right. And not knowing where it's going to go. We don't always know are the three girls, are they, or are they not going to go to college? Uh, how's the step team going to perform? We don't know those things. So you have to put a lot of effort into investing, saying we're committed to telling this story no matter which way it goes. Right. That is always, I always have to give high marks to any documentary he's willing to do that. It's a lot harder to do that than to say we're going to tell a story about something that has already happened in the past sure. and just document it and, and tell it to you in an hour and a half. So that I have to give it right away a, a really nice positive on. And then I thought it, just the framework of the film was really well done. They intercut between the three char- main characters. I thought it was a really good you know, interspersing of those characters. Um, and I thought they... It was well edited. I thought the musical performances were really well done. So overall, it was just a very competently made, well-told documentary that I think was really interesting subject matter with three, namely one, but three interesting storylines of families as well. Um, so overall, it just worked for me. This is this is my kind of film. You know, I I, I love being exposed to a, a slice of life, a culture that I'm not exposed to every day. And getting to peer inside these people's lives and find out what's really going on. And I felt like for the most part, most of it seemed very genuine and not just put on for the camera. So, Yeah, I do like this film. I think I can tell by the way you're talking about it, you're much higher on it than I am. Sure. Um, but yeah, it's, it is admirable to just think about how instead of doing a documentary about the Kennedy administration, they're doing one about something that's happening now. So you do take a lot of risks by gathering a lot of footage, trying to see what kind of storylines you're going to be able to pick out. I get that. And it's definitely to be admired for that. Um, there again, I, I feel like just some of the, they're calling them characters, but people, their stories were underdeveloped. I've, the guidance counselor, or I guess she was a college advisor, Paula Doffett. I thought she was a very interesting character. And she gets one scene where she's talking to some people that are thinking about accepting a girl into their program, their college program. And she really gets a moment to kind of shine at that point. But I just, I wanted a little bit more background on her. The the coach, we do get a good amount of time with her, but I thought she probably had a lot more to offer. The new coach, mm-hmm. uh, Gary also had a lot to offer, but yeah, overall good film and just interesting case in a documentary made me just want to learn more about it, which mm-hmm. I guess is a good thing. It's just that's a, that's a very a good unusual, good, yeah. <laughs> an unusual thing that I come out of a documentary questioning a lot of things. So. The, the one thing I'll say that I felt like the film maybe, um, it was a little too cliche in a couple of moments as a documentary. Okay. And by that, I mean cliche in that uh, when someone is on camera giving an interview and says something like, you know, whatever happens now is going to determine these girls future for the rest of their life. Okay. Mm. Almost like shining a spotlight on, oh, this is now going to be the part of the film where we want to make sure you know this is extremely important. This is important. Right? That There were a few too many instances of that of, oh my gosh, if I don't do this, 
like to the camera, then that means this will happen for the rest of my life. This changes everything. It's a little more on, it's too on the nose a few times. I felt like we as an audience, we have an understanding that sure. this is the day when they're going to find out if they're going to college or not, or which college they give them applications for. You don't have to point out and spell out to me that, yes, this is an important day. I know this. <laughs> sure. I can see this. Sure. Yes, we have a big competition. Yes, it is the, uh, the the final competition of the year before we all graduate. We get that. We don't need it spotlighted. That's my only misgiving with it is I just felt like it was a little too, hey, let's steer your attention and let you remember how important this next scene is going to be <laughs> before you're just letting it play out. It, it's a common documentary trope, and it's something sure. that this film fell into a little bit more than I would have liked. But um, it still made it enjoyable. It's just, uh, you know, a couple of things I think was a very routine documentary uh, thing that I think is uh, I'd like to see them move away from if sure. at all possible. Well, and this being you'd mentioned this being the, one of the director's first films, she's done some work in TV, we think. But uh, this is one of definitely the biggest things she's had come around, you know. It'll be interesting to see where she goes from here, what story she chooses to follow, and how she develops her style. Mm -hmm. I do think for a first-time director, as far as directing a true, you know, full full-length film, I think she's done some other work either in TV or theater. But this okay. being a full-form film, I thought it was very good. I, I terribly enjoyed it just because it is right in my wheelhouse of the kind of documentary I really enjoy and appreciate. Um, I do recommend people really go out and seek it out. I, I enjoyed it immensely, and. Um, Enjoyed it just as much the second time, too. But I do <laughs> say yes. I I understand your criticism of wanting more from it or feeling like there's more that could have been fleshed out. Um, and then, of course, my concerns about some of the way it, it, it falls into those documentary tropes a little more than I would like. I think one on a closing note, one thing that I feel like we're both probably on the same page with that we haven't really talked about they show a number of practices doing this step, you know, like step dancing stuff and also performances where they're going like competitions. I thought those were well shot. And mm -hmm. obviously those helped move the film along because yeah. yeah, all that kind of dancing and making, uh, making noise and all that kind of stuff. It was, it was effective and it was interesting to watch. Yeah. So. Great. Well, that's step, uh, as of this time, it's only playing, been playing in select cities, but I would imagine it would be available online here within the next maybe three months or so. Uh, but we do recommend if you have a chance to see it and it is in a city near you, I, I wholeheartedly recommend going and seeking it out. Chris, overall positive on the film, too, just with a few more misgivings about it than I had. So with that, let's go ahead and move into our second review, Chris, if we can. We're going to talk about a film you've seen, but I have not. And that is Logan Lucky. Charlotte Motor Speedway. I know how they move the money. The only guy knows anything about blowing up real bank vaults is Joe Bang. I am in car, sir. Ray Ted. Yeah, we got a plan to get you out. Well. A Coca-Cola 600 is the biggest race of the year. We need computer wheels. I know everything there is to know about computers, okay? All the Twitters, I know them. Logan Lucky is the latest film from director Steven Soderbergh, written by Rebecca Blunt. Don't know if you've heard anything about Rebecca Blunt or not, but I have not. There's actually. a lot of questions about whether she really exists. Really? I'm just saying, I'm just echoing whatever's on the uh, out on the press. There's huh. been a lot of uh, you know Steven Soderbergh claims yes she is a real person, but yet there's a lot of other media outlets that say oh, we don't think she is. I think it's maybe a pseudonym or some other 
uh, name that's being used just to kind of mask whoever really wrote it. I don't know. Anyway, just interesting note there. Steven Soderbergh's latest film uh, follows two brothers as they attempt to pull off a heist during a NASCAR race in North Carolina. Chris, I mean, this is Charlotte Motor Speedway is like 45 mm. minutes away from our house. This is true. The Charlotte Motor Speedway is 45 minutes from our house. So we not are a, basically not a bad impersonation yeah. of Channing Tatum. So we are right there in the backyard of this film. Right. Uh, this is Steven Soderbergh's unretirement film. Uh, you know, he, he had said years ago that he was done retiring from film, right. which he kind of technically did for a while. All the work he did after that was either TV movies or other kind of uh, second. I think he helped out on some productions kind of silently without right. credit. But this is his first, like, I'm back as a director returning for Logan Lucky. It's built as a comedy. Um, it is built as a heist film. We have Channing Tatum and Adam Driver starving, starring as the two brothers. And then we have Daniel Craig playing the uh, – uh, Joe, what's his name? Joe Bank. Joe Bang. Or Bang. Sorry. Bang. We also have Seth MacFarlane and we have Katie Holmes and some others. So Chris, I have not seen this film. You have. Um, you've been a fairly good Soderbergh fan in the past. I mean, I know you're not like a huge fanboy of his, but I think you are generally ex- like his work and follow his work to some degree. Sure. I could say I'm probably in that camp as well. I generally like his work and we'll try to see his film when I can. Unfortunately, this film, I have not. So it's all up to you to tell me how was Logan lucky? Do you recommend it? What worked or didn't work for it? So you've seen the trailer. I think we may have mentioned the trailer on the the show. Yes. Um, Yeah. This is an instance where, Man, that was a really great trailer and wish the movie lived up to it, but doesn't. And it falls pretty far short. You mentioned kind of how our friends over at IMDb categorized the movie as a comedy, crime, and drama. Uh, Not that funny. Mm. So there's that. The crime is kind of pretty straightforward. There's nothing really interesting and there's not really much drama. So it kind of, Hmm. it doesn't really succeed on any of the notes that I think it's trying to hit. Yeah. And interestingly enough, I had not heard the internet brouhaha about Rebecca Blunt. Um, I think Soderbergh, I am generally a fan of his films. Um, You know, I like some better than others, but he's always an interesting director, the projects that he picks to do. Um, This has been kind of, touted whether you think it's a good thing or a bad thing as Ocean 7-Eleven. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because obviously Soderbergh did the Ocean's 11, 12, and 13 films. So this was kind of like the everyman's version. Mm-hmm. And if there had been some type of creative way to instill that idea on this movie, then okay. They actually even throw out on a news report that you hear being played on a TV in the background. You hear them reference it as Ocean 7-Eleven. Do they really? So it's kind of even like, it makes you think like, yeah, but those films, even if you didn't like the sequels, they had, they were funny and they also had some cleverness to them as far as how Mm -hmm. the crimes were pulled off. This film just like, so fell short of that watermark because the humor wasn't there. And then like the, cleverness of how they pulled the crime off not really it's kind of like yep that's what they said they were gonna do and they did it so there's like there's really no reveal there um so it's just it's it's really disappointing the performances when the film came out it was like critics were loving it and audiences weren't turning out for it and it was kind of like oh or you know people just cranky about people making fun of southerners and us being in the south you can probably tell from our accents 
No, I, I don't think that was the problem. I just think audiences went out to see it. And I don't think there's a big groundswell of support for Steven Soderbergh. Like film critics love him, you mm-hmm. know, and critics love him in general. But I think general audiences don't really know who he is. They've forgotten about him. It's not like Christopher Nolan coming out with a new film or something. You know, it's, I don't know. I just don't think there's any cachet for audiences. They judge it just on the film, which is mm. fair. So I, I don't know. I just, I fell short. The performances, you know, of course, Adam Driver, he's great. You know, I mean, he's he's always great. Mm-hmm. Um, Channing Tatum, he's good. I've, and he works well with Soderbergh. You know, something like Magic Mike, which was kind of an interesting film in mm-hmm. itself. You know, it was just, there was something unique about it. And sure, this this has some interesting directorial choices. The cinematography's interesting. But I, it all comes back maybe to the writing, which it's really curious now that you've mentioned that. That's all I can think about if that person really exists or is Soderbergh embarrassed that he wrote it? Like, you know, I, I don't know. I'm really, really curious because if he really did write it to me, he seems like the type of person that would own it. So I don't know if it's maybe it's a fictitious person, but the person who actually wrote it is like scared to admit they wrote it. Like, I don't, I don't know. Well, here's, that's just, that's that's fascinating to me. I'm, I'm, Thank you for your review. I don't have a whole lot to say beyond that. Back to you about it. I, I'm I'm saddened to hear yeah, that because I was actually too. looking I forward was, to seeing I this film. I was really looking forward yeah. to seeing this film. It was a big letdown. Um, but Probably back one of to the bigger the, letdowns of this year. Wow. But back to Rebecca Blunt, the writer. Sure. So she has nothing on IMDb other than this film. Wow. No bio, no information, nothing. The only bio she has right now is it says, as of July 2017, suspected to be a fictitious person, a pseudonym for an, an unyet, uh, as yet unidentified person. The real person supposedly exchanged emails with Channing Tatum, Adam Driver, and Daniel Craig during filming. They believed that she resides in the UK. That's it. That is all the information we have on IMDb about Miss Rebecca Blunt. Now, well, I just had like a mind blowing totally internet worthy rumor that mm-hmm. would be really crazy if this is what happened. Mm-hmm. JK Rowling. <laughs> because she, after she wrote the Harry Potter book, she started writing other books, but used a pseudonym because she didn't want people to know who it was. <laughs> and then the first book was really good. Our first book, one of her books, like it, just long story, won't go into it. But anyways, um, you know, she's writing the screenplays for fantastic beasts and where to find them. And she's yeah. written like all these other sequels. But it's within the Harry Potter wheelhouse. Yeah. I wonder if she had an idea for a movie, but didn't want to put her name on it because people would be like, why are you writing a NASCAR comedy? Like, you don't know what you're talking about. Uh, that's possible. Man. I don't, I don't. Okay, now, that's will, my crazy internet theory for right, the week. Cool. J.K. Cool. Rowling. Now, I would just say this. That's uh, full, I just want to be on the record with this. You know, If Rebecca Blunt's a real person, I, I do not mean to be spreading oh, this rumor about you not. being fictitious. Sure. I really, really feel bad about that. I'm just commenting on internet rumors. Uh, so my apologies, Miss Blunt, if you're listening and you <laughs> are a real person, exist. I do not mean to dismiss you as a person or your work. I'm just, again, it's on, it's on the IMDB page. It is the only thing listed for you. So I have to comment on well, it. And I will say, okay, yes, I was really let down by the film. I really didn't think it worked. You know, just if this had been a film by any other director with any other, like a no name cast and like, I'd never heard of the director. Then I'd be like, yeah, it was okay. I would give it the, oh, that's okay. You know, it didn't jump mm, out at me, but yeah. it was okay. But, but the fact so that it had such a big cast yeah. has a really capable director. 
you just kind of wonder like it's the the curse like oh how can it fail right and then you know it does also hmm. i remember and i was hoping to be wrong there was the big thing about how the movie kind of came out of nowhere. Nobody really knew he was yeah, working true. on it. Nobody, and it was all of a sudden there was this trailer and you're like, whoa, Soderbergh has mm. a new movie coming out. And then now you're like, well, now I know why. Like, I, I don't, I don't mm. know. I just, it's just really disappointing. Kind of a mystery. If people like Steven Soderbergh and like, and Daniel Craig, he's kind of the acting highlight just because he's playing such a kind of bizarre character. But it's too bad he wasn't amped up a little bit more because that really? would have helped the comedy. But, um, if you like the actors, if you really like Soderbergh, yeah, check it out. You know, um, it's, you know, I wouldn't you're, say go see it in the theater, but they, see it on Netflix or something saying, like that. You're not saying it's a bad movie. You're saying it's just there's nothing interesting about it, especially considering it's coming from Soderbergh. Well, I guess I, well, I don't, I don't even. Are you calling it a bad movie? Yeah. yeah Are you really? I, okay. I am, All which right. really hurts me to say because it's, it's unfair prejudice from my point because of the cast, because of the director. Okay. I just spe- expect so much more, but I think for the, the non snobby moving going public, mm-hmm. <laughs> they may just be like, Oh, okay. It was worth a red box. It was worth a Netflix. I Is see. it worth $10? Absolutely not. To go see, see. that. Does that make sense? So yeah. no, it does. I guess I am calling it a bad film, but I realize I'm a jaded Stupid podcast. No, I, I, so, I, I, yeah. I wanted to hear you say yeah. it was a bad movie, which and, is really, okay. really shocking. I mean, yeah, because and it's long. At the end of it, it's just kind of like, what was that all about? Like the people wow. I saw the movie with were all kind of of the same. Like, what just happened? Why was that movie rated something like ninety percent on Rotten Tomatoes? Like, what movie did they see? Because <laughs> we didn't see that same movie. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So yeah. Okay. So you know, while I give Logan a glowing unlucky. positive review of Step, Chris is trashing the latest Soderbergh film with Logan Lucky, begrudgingly. So I see you wincing. You're wincing in pain over there. This is I, tough. I this been, is tough for you. And to will do. I go see the next thing that he does? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. You know. So. so it has not moved you away from Soderbergh. It's just this was a misfire. For me, okay, yes. I understand. Didn't even get the car started, so wow. misfire. <laughs> okay, yeah, just a <laughs> yeah. dead, dead battery, yes. bad car, right. lemon. Okay, all right. Well, let's move on to a third film, and this one we're going to flip the roles a little bit. We're going to talk about a film that I saw. Chris is not the latest Stephen King adaptation, the movie It. When you're a kid, you think the universe revolves around you. They think that you'll always be protected and cared for. Then, one day, you realize that's not true. Because when you're alone as a kid, the monsters see you as weaker. You don't even know they're getting closer. Until it's too late. So uh, Stephen King's It, mm-hmm. it's been adapted. It was adapted once before for a TV miniseries. In 1990, I believe. I saw it. I'm I thinking too. you saw it as well. Probably mm-hmm. a lot of our listening audience probably saw it. It was kind of a big deal. It was a, it was a huge, um, it was a TV miniseries, two nights. And it was a big deal when it came out. Everybody was, was amped up to see that, that I mean, film. Tim Curry yeah. cast as Pennywise, to me, was pretty genius casting. It was good. Um, so they've done this film, Alan. It's about a group of bully kids that kind of band together to combat a shape-shifting evil force in a small town, yes. uh, Derry. So do you think this new take on it, did it bring anything new to the table? Uh, what, what did you appreciate about it, if you did appreciate something about it? Um, 
I will say I appreciated this this new version of it. I appreciated it and enjoyed it considerably more than I did the 1990 TV version. Really, even at the time. The yeah, because I remember the 1990 version. I, it was broken into two nights. Mm-hmm. The first night was all about the kids. Mm-hmm. Well, I think they had flashbacks between the two, flashbacks. but it was primarily kids. And then the second night was primarily adults. Got you. I remember thinking the kids section was pretty good, and it had some good scary moments, and I, I enjoyed it. It got to the second night, and I thought it really went downhill, and it just ended with a real thud. Just hmm. not a very enjoyable ending of, 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 of a series. So... It was with a little trepidation going to see this because my my fear was that this was going to be just a schlock horror film version of it. Which I'm, I would admit, I am surprised that you went to go see this film because in general, yeah. neither one of us like horror movies. But a lot of times, fans. I'll be like, "Hey, Alan, we should review The Witch, or we should review It Follows." Now, you know, well, you so you're the kind reason of this film made so much money opening weekend. Actually, they did the demographic tracking, and it was a lot more older our age audiences huh, than they typically see in a horror film. Okay. So a lot of nostalgia played in here. Mm-hmm. Two things that are important. One, it was a big, big book when it came out, you know, back in the eighties. In the eighties. And of course the nineteen ninety version was a big T V event when it came out. I read the book after the TV event because I like the story so much. The second side of the coin is that instead of having the kids' story take place in the 1950s like it did when the book came out in the eighties, the kids' story takes place in the nineteen eighties now. And you've got oh. a little linkage, you know, a little show that was on Netflix this past year called Stranger Things. That was extremely popular. I think there's a lot of tie-in with the kind of appeal that show has. Because huh. it's a lot of 80s culture going on in this film. Even the, one of the lead kids, uh, one of the kids of the losers, is the star of Stranger Things. Now, so I knew about that, connection. but I did not know they had updated the time oh, period. Oh, yes. It's in the 80s. So it's actually got 80s music piped in. No, actually, it's good. Ooh, I don't I know. I think it works. I'm kind of... I think oof. it works. Um, I liked it a lot as an 80s film. Hmm. Um, so that, I think those two factors, the fact that it was, you know, just this nostalgia for this book that everybody remember reading as a teenager or so, and the fact that now the movie has shifted to take place in the 80s. I think those two things brought together means you've got a lot of 40-something-year-olds going to see this movie. I couldn't be happier that I didn't see this movie yet, and you did. I mean, I was afraid of reviewing it with mm-hmm. you because I did really like the book. I did like the miniseries, so I was wanting to see it. But I think if I'd have gone in and not known that it was updated to the 80s, because, yes, I read books, and so I think it would have really bothered me. Well, now but you if know. the movie was really good, then I guess I would look. I would well, be able to gloss over it. But there, that is, that is really shocking. I think me. there's a reason they wanted to set it in the 80s is because they want the 27 years later when you visit them as adults, which will be Chapter 2. And that's not a spoiler. I'm sure you've heard in the news now. I mean, it's a, it's, the book is basically young and old versions of the kid. Well, this movie is just the young. Gotcha. So obviously there's going to be a chapter two, which is all the older version of them. They want that to be taking place in modern day. So in other words, it would be 2019 or whenever it comes out would be the Hmm. time period for that. So they really were trying to separate it out and say, yep, the kids, we want them to be adults in today and not make the adults in 1980s, you know, while the kids are 1950s. It's just, it's a lot of disconnect. I think when you're saying there's no, to the sequel, there's no way they won't make it right because this movie made no an obnoxious this amount money of money. This money made the most money of any rated R horror film I think ever. Wow, it's almost made as much money as Deadpool did for a rated R movie, which that was a huge. That was a big deal. That was a big deal when it came out. So yes, no, this they will. I'd be surprised if they weren't already starting on the second movie or like today, <laughs> like already filming it. Well, Alan, big question. Yeah, 
This is slated as being a, well, actually, IMDb has it as adventure drama horror. Mm-hmm. So does it succeed as a horror movie? Is it scary? Um, well, it depends. I, I, I think a lot of the people that saw it do feel it was very scary. I personally didn't think it was terribly scary, but that was okay because I'm not a big guy on big, scary movies anyway. I wanted a good movie. I wanted interesting characters. That's what I was really looking for. If I knew this was just a let's just scare the the crap out of people, I wouldn't have been interested. So actually, I was pleasantly surprised when I got to the end of the film. I'm like, yeah, I mean, you know, I didn't feel like the movie was just all about let's just be as terrifying as possible. Well, and that that's encouraging to me because even though I like the subject matter, when I heard about this film, I was assuming, yeah, they're just turning it into a straight-up horror movie. It's just all about, jumps, all about jump scares and blood and gore. And obviously, if there's a thousand-page novel out there, there's a lot more to it than just that. So yeah. it sounds to me like, rest assured, some of that stuff's probably in there, but there's enough story to keep it going. So. There is, although just be warned. I mean, it's still a two-hour, 15-minute version of a long book. Okay. So there's some things that I know they had to gloss over, some things they didn't go deep on. There's one element I'm going to talk about as a as a negative of the film for me okay. that I think was would have been handled with a longer form uh, uh, telling of the story. Hmm. But for a two-hour version, collapsing the, the younger uh, kid's side of the story, I thought it was a very good movie. Okay. Um, I will say a couple of things that made it a good movie for me. Uh, the young kids they have cast, uh, for the most part, as the losers, the group of kids that are fighting it, were all really good. Um, okay. It's a lot of unknown actors, with the exception of the one boy who's in Stranger Things, but most people still don't know what his name is. So he's, I, me he's still relatively I know, I know who he is, but yeah. yeah. Uh, his, his fan Wolfhard, in case you're curious. Okay. So, um, Jaden Leber, um, I'm butchering your name and I apologize. Jaden Lieberher. Uh, plays Bill, kind of the main, the leader of the, the loners. He was really good. Okay. Um, I've got to point out there, there was one one child actor in this movie, uh, Jeremy Ray Taylor, who plays Ben. Ben is the new kid at school, in case you remember from the book. He shows up about the time all this story starts happening. He's overweight. And my biggest fear, I had not read the book. So when I saw him appear on the screen, my fear is, okay, they've got to have the comic relief overweight kid who joins the group, the chunk of the Goonies, you know, right. type of thing. Right. And I was so, when I saw him appear on the screen, I'm like, oh, they're going to go that cliche. I know it. He was such a good actor and he played a part completely against what you would stereotype him being hmm. sweet as could be awesome. smart as a whip, just a real genuinely good kid. And the actor is just, I mean, my wife and I both afterwards said, oh, that kid's good. He is going to be doing some good stuff. That's awesome. We're very excited about that. Okay. Sophia Lillis playing Beverly Marsh. Also very, very good. I've not seen her do anything else before. She's she's obviously got some other some other uh, parts ahead of her as well. Hmm. So all the kids were good. But I wanted to point out those two especially I thought were very, very good for this film. So I loved watching the kids. I mean, the whole Pennywise the Clown, yes. Uh, they've got um, Skarsgård playing it. So – yeah, I got to ask you, how did he do? Oh, he he did fine. Because to me, Tim Curry, granted, I know it was more like a camp because it was on it TV. W- it was more but camp. I love the way Tim Curry did it. And to me, that is that is a 
Most people don't know who Pennywise is. They will now. But that's like somebody stepping into the shoes to play the Joker. It's well, like, how it's is that exactly, going to be? And so, Chris, like, is this, is, did he do a good job? Did he carry off Pennywise yeah, for you? he right? did. And it's almost like saying you got a Jack Nicholson version of the Joker and you've got a Heath Ledger version of the Joker. You can have both. They can coexist and you can like different aspects of both of them. This is definitely more the Heath Ledger version of Pennywise. Hmm. What I think is really interesting, the choice they made is that as you're watching Pennywise, you know, the clown is just a form he takes to try to terrify the kids. Right. You can tell watching him that he is a creature that's not quite completely comfortable in this outfit, in the, in this huh. skin that he's created for himself, hmm. he's not quite he he's not quite all together. So in other words, you're, as you're watching him, you're like something's a little bit off. He's like something else is going on behind the eyes there, and I think that got played off really well in the film. So huh. yes, it was not Tim Curry. It was not quite the campy version that we had, but uh, I thought he was really good. I okay. thought he was very creepy and scary. I will say the two things about the film that I just thought you know. Uh, maybe some misgivings about the film one there is a, a prolonged scene inside basically and you might as well just call it a haunted house i mean it is the house where okay. they find out you can get to the sewers to find pennywise and it looks like your prototypical haunted house at the end of the street okay. there's a long sequence there where they're basically in the that house and each of them are being tormented and terrified by different things going on in the house hmm. it, that segment of the film felt the most like your typical new horror film where it's just it sounds like a video game. Let's have jump scares. <laughs> let's have like some creepy imagery kind of all over the place, a little uh-huh. more sensory overload section of it. That part lost me a little bit. Honestly, I wasn't really as interested when it got to that part. Okay. It did come back together in the end um, with more of the final scenes though. <laughs> so that moment I felt like it was, it was a little more the, 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 more current horror film that I'm not a big fan of. Sure. Uh, the second part of it that I, I do think is just a misgiving of the film is you mentioned before that the town of Derry is where this takes place. Does it not take place there anymore? Oh, it does. Okay. No, it's in Derry. <laughs> and you know, it, and in the book, I, I do know, even though I have not read it, I've been told and understood that, you know, this, this idea of kids going missing is something that the, the town kind of wrestles with and has been going on Glosses for a while over. and they gloss over it Absolutely. and they just don't want to talk about it. That element of the story was really glossed over in the movie. <laughs> okay. it, it, it You got the sense that people were a little ambivalent about the whole missing kids, but you never really, it was actually seen as weird in the film because it's like, why are not more adults figuring out what's going on or hmm. talking about it? I understand from the book that that's part of the story is that Derry has just kind of persevered through this history and this is how they, they handle it. It left a viewer like me not knowing that going into the movie wondering where are the adults? Why are the adults not involved? Understanding that in the book, there is something to that, that the kids don't trust the adults. So maybe in the sequel, that'll be more. Maybe so. The closest they came, which was a really nice shot kind of early in the film, is, uh, you know, you have the the child missing posters that go up whenever a child is missing, get their photograph and vital stats and all. There's a, a street post where when we just see one of the kids go missing, one of the very next shots is somebody takes a child missing poster and basically plasters it over a previous one on the same street pole. So mm-hmm. in other words, that kid is now vanished. It's gone like out of our memory. Here's the new kid that's missing. And all we're going to do is just put up the one poster and cover up the old ones. Uh-huh. That was the closest you came to being like, okay, so I guess they're trying to tell us that the parents are somehow trying to hmm. not deal with this or trying to gloss over it. 
But you never really understood that. So it was, it made for one of those where I remember back in the eighties, we'd watch movies and these kids would have these crazy adventures on different movies. And you're always wondering where are the parents? Why are adults not involved in this in some way? Sure. I was thinking that about halfway through it. I'm like, these kids are going through some major crap right now. And there's not a, they, not one of them have gone to run to talk to their parents about it or gone to a policeman about it. I get it. That is part of the book's story, but it just wasn't really examined very well in the film. So Mm. it did leave some viewers like me wondering, okay, how can this be realistic if there's no adults like involved in the storyline at all? Sure. So that was, that. that's my one story misgiving with it. And then of course the, the haunted house sequence uh, just, I felt like was not as original as it could have been. Um, but you're recommending it. I am recommending it. Okay. And I'll tell you what, I recommend it to go to a crowded theater to watch it. Oh yeah. Because there is, there were several moments in the film where it's just fun to be surrounded by people sure. all shrieking and jumping at the same time. There was one scene though in that haunted house sequence, even though the part of the film I didn't care for as much, there was one scene and I'm not going to give it away too much, but let's just say one of the young characters has to walk into a room and you can tell that it's surrounded by what you think are mannequins with drapes over them all throughout the room. And the minute he walks in that room and you find out what's under the drapes, I wish I had a recording of the audience reaction to it because it was just priceless. It was basically like, Oh no, 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 (laughs) no, no, no. Like you could just hear that all throughout the theater when, when you found out what he was surrounded by. Moments like that make this a great film to go see in a crowded audience. Mm. I don't think I would have had quite the same reaction to it if I was just watching it at home by myself. Um, wow. But it, it, it's a well-made horror movie. It, it's yeah. not a perfect movie. It's not you know the best horror film in 20 years. But compared to a lot of the horror films we have to kind of suffer through, or you and I don't suffer through because we don't go see it, <laughs> sure. it is much better than than average. And okay. I think it's a fairly good telling of this first half of this story. Okay. Yeah. So that's it. It is still playing and still very popular right now. So we'll let uh, that that is uh, out there. And we I encourage people to go see it. Chris, I'd love for you to go I, see it. And tell I you what think, you think I probably will. Yeah. yeah. And I actually think, you know, I mean, yes, it's got blood and gore uh, and a lot of cursing, especially from Mr. Wolfhard, the uh, Stranger Things kid. But, um, you know, I mean, if, if, a, if a teenager has read the book and is OK reading the book, I don't think anything in the movie is going to traumatize them anymore than the book would. True. So it's, it's, I'm not advocating you take your, your teenagers <laughs> or preteens, but if they're already seeing horrific stuff online and other movies and TV shows, this isn't going to scar them for life. I don't believe so. Okay. All right. So that's our reviews. Uh, step Logan, lucky and it, uh, two of the three recommended by foot candle films. One, not so much, not so much. Okay. Let's move on to movie news after a break. We're going to take a quick little break. We'll come back, give some movie news, and then we'll also do our recommendation for the episode. Stay tuned. You're listening to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. When you need a dose of entertainment chatter or just a good laugh, be sure to check out Chick Chat on The Mesh. It's girls talking about stuff, well, girls want to talk about. Celebrities, gossip, fads, boys... It's kind of the guilty pleasure of the Mesh Network. Here's a little taste of what you can expect. But you know what I always thought was really exciting? Is at the beginning of a new season, when the montage would change and the people were like older or they had something new. Like when you got new Becky on Roseanne. Yes. (laughs) That's an example. Perfect example. You need to know. You can't just start shows and then new people are on there and you're thinking... 
What? What? I needed about, the montage. What about on 90210? Okay, that 90210, it changed every season. It you know? did. And then they had the beach summer one where like... Where they the, worked at the country club? Yes. yes. You know, and the, the opening credits had them like wearing bikinis and stuff. And uh-huh. then another one would be like when they're just in that white room and on chairs that swivel around. Right. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. So... It's all it's even all. Baywatch when they change lifeguards. Absolutely, they had new people running down the beach in red bikinis. But you knew they're a new lifeguard. <laughs> I need to get invested in that. So come have a listen to Chick Chat on the Mesh TV. You know you want to. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh TV. Quick reminder: the Mesh TV is a podcast network uh, that we belong to, along with other shows. A podcast is a uh, basically like a, imagine a radio program that you can listen to on demand on the internet. Um, even better, you can subscribe to it and make sure it is delivered right to your player of choice, your phone, your computer, your whatever device you listen to these shows on. You can have it d- delivered to you automatically by subscribing without having to worry about going and searching for any new episodes. Find us uh, on iTunes. Apple iTunes is probably our primary podcast home where most people find us. And that's where you can download any back episodes and also subscribe to the show. We do encourage you to do that. If you like listening to our lovely voices <laughs> and hearing our deep, insightful content right. commentary, then please subscribe. And you get us every couple weeks for the rest of your life or until we decide to hang it up. So I think we'll see how much longer that is. We've <laughs> been going for a while. Then, so <laughs> yeah, we have. It's been uh, eight years. Yeah, I think so. Wow. Eight years doing the show. Mm. We got to plan something big for the 10 year anniversary of the show. There you go. Yeah. All right. So, Chris, let's hit a couple movie news items if we could. Uh, I've got one, probably the biggest news in the last two weeks that we have to talk about for just a few minutes, mainly because I want to brag about myself for a minute. Okay. If we can go back in the time, the time machine to maybe two episodes ago. Okay. Mm, okay. Not that hard of a time machine. Jump. No, but, you know, a 30 day back jump or so. We were talking about, uh, maybe it was three episodes ago, Star Wars Episode Nine. Now, yes. those of you that are Roman numerically challenged, Episode Seven was The Force Awakens, the one that came out about uh, almost two years ago. Mm-hmm. The Last Jedi is the one coming out this December. That is Episode Eight. That's V-I-I-I, I believe. <laughs> episode Nine, which is I-X, is, we don't know the name of it, but it's slated to come out. It was slated to come out in summer two thousand. 19. So it'd be a year and a half after the one we're getting this December. Uh, Colin Trevorrow was, was set up to be the director of that film. He, all three of the directors were basically announced when this whole new trilogy started, which is, I thought pretty daring. I think I even said the time that's pretty crazy to go ahead and plot out your next like eight years of movies with three directors. Well, I think they feel really good about what Mr. Ryan Johnson's doing on The Last Jedi because he still has his job. <laughs> he kept it all through production. He was allowed to finish the movie. And uh, supposedly word is that it's a good movie. But Mr. Trevorrow, who had previously had success with the latest Jurassic World film, which was you know, Jurassic World, the latest Jurassic Park film, right. which made like a bajillion dollars. Um, that's basically how he got the gig. Since then, he has put out another film called Book of Henry, Book of Henry, which got critically panned and made no money. Um, I'm sure lost the studio quite a bit of change. There's also been some reports that Mr. Trevorrow is a bit challenging to work with on set and some different production work that he's been involved with. 
very highly opinionated and very uh, authoritative with his viewpoints. Those are traits, I'll say, if that's true, don't mesh very well with Miss Kathleen Kennedy and the rest of Lucasfilm. Please note, they have already canned one set of directors from the Solo movie, so they're not opposed to canning directors, which is exactly what they did as they got rid of Mr. Colin Trevorrow about two and a half weeks ago from the time of this recording. See, that just it, that makes me sad. Um, I don't care. Um, because here's the thing. I, I thought it was foolish to book a director that far in well, advance anyway. True. Uh, if you're booking it just off of Jurassic World, that wasn't a director's movie. That was a studio movie that needed a director to basically keep the wheels turning on it. Um, well, that's what Star Safety Wars Not Guaranteed like. is the only movie he's done which that I was ambivalent about. You really I liked. liked. Yeah. But he's had one film I that was see. good. Um, I did not see Book of Henry, but it did not sound very encouraging. Jurassic World... I thought it was a fine popcorn film, but I would not be seeking it out for the director, you know, for anything. Definitely not a rewatch type situation. No, which you I want you. I personally want Star Wars movies to be, but yeah. No. So I, I trust that they're they were seeing the writing on the wall. They were maybe seeing the script. My understanding is the script has gone through several iterations because the version he put out with his writing partner did not pass muster. But also, they had to go back and do a whole other version because. Episode nine supposedly centered very, very heavily on Miss uh, Carrie Jane Fisher, Fisher. Uh, Princess Leia, who obviously, unfortunately, is not with us anymore. So that changed a lot of the scope of episode nine, from what I understand. Well, as of September 12th, which is about three days ago from when we record right now, um, they have announced that J.J. Abrams has been added back to episode nine. He directed episode seven. Ryan Johnson did eight. And now J.J. Abrams is back for nine. So J.J. Abrams will start and conclude this new Star Wars trilogy for Lucasfilms. He's going to be writing as well with mm-hmm. a writing partner, Chris Terrio. So what that means is they're writing a new script altogether. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, they're scrapping what Trevorrow had. So he has no imprint on this film whatsoever anymore. Mm-hmm. Chris, I know your thoughts on this, but why don't you tell the rest of the audience so I don't have to read uh, talk for you in the situation. Well, you know, I, I was just disappointed because I I really liked the idea. Of course, it's a business, so I understand you want to go with a proven quantity, which would be J.J. Abrams. He made you a lot of money the first time. Why wouldn't he come back and do it again? Um, but because I don't have any skin in the game, I don't have any money invested in it, um, I just wanted to see three different ideas. Um, and off the bat, you say something like, oh, a director is really challenging and has strong opinions. That to me is like awesome because I think of somebody like Alfonso Cuaron doing the third Harry Potter movie, had a completely different vision, did some really cool – it's one of the better Harry Potter movies. So, you know, could something like that, like that happen with uh, episode nine? Maybe, but we don't know. Never will happen. Um, so I'm disappointed, but if I will say that – I don't think Abrams will make a terrible movie. He no. didn't do it with episode seven. I don't no. see how he did. I just am curious as to what could have happened with three different directors, three different ideas, like three different know. things, because it would you know, cool. obviously we're nine films. Well, by that time, and then you count the Han Solo movie, you know, how to keep something fresh. Well, a director, a new director would tend to do that. So, I don't know. I will say this. I'm okay with their decision. And I'll tell you where, because I guarantee you this is what's going on in their, their, their studio head meetings and all. You look at the history they've had the last few films. I mean, J.J. Abrams, they hit gold. The movie was well-received, made tons of money. People really liked Force Awakens. Good. 
Ryan Johnson, yeah, they're getting good feedback, but of course the movie hasn't come out yet. So we don't know for out. sure. But I'm from my hearing, they're very happy and encouraged with what they're seeing so far. They're confident in the process. Well, and I really liked Rogue One, but I don't know how Well, I Rogue One did have some issues during production. Supposedly Gareth Edwards, the director. Reshoots. There were reshoots. I got the impression from reading what I was reading that, you know, maybe there wasn't the best relationship between Gareth Edwards and Lucasfilms. Hmm. Some things had to be changed and retooled as they went along. The solo movie was completely going off a path that Lucasfilm didn't want, and they canned the directors, uh, Lord Miller, and brought on uh, uh, Ron Ron Howard. Right. I think they're honestly looking at their situation saying, listen, we could either roll the dice and go with an unknown quantity for episode nine. We could go out and get a really innovative director who's done a lot of great stuff and see how they do with a Star Wars movie. I don't think the idea of seeing how it goes is quite in their vocabulary <laughs> for episode nine. I think it's more of a we need a guarantee that it's going to be a good film. Right. And like you said, J.J. Abrams will not make it a bad film. No. So I get it. They're, they got burned once or twice. They're not feeling too too comfortable with this whole trying some different people. We need to close out this trilogy on a really strong note because that's going to determine whether we make more movies down the road or what we do with the franchise. A Ron Howard Han Solo movie. I'm, I'm interested to see what that is. I'll be the first to admit, J.J. Abrams and Ron Howard are not inspired choices. Okay, They're not people that are like, oh, wow, that's going to be really interesting. But they're safe choices. I mean, Ron Howard will not make it a horrible movie. Um, J.J. Abrams will not make Episode Nine a horrible movie. They're playing safe bets right now, which, you know, if I'm a business guy, I get it. Right. Would I have liked to have seen uh, 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 Denis... Uh, um, yeah, Villeneuve, Villeneuve take yeah. on a Star Wars movie. Absolutely. Yeah. Would I have loved to seen somebody else really interesting take on a Star Wars movie? Absolutely. I wonder why Spielberg's never touched it. I, I, I really think Spielberg doesn't want to deal with that pressure. I, I think he sees I mean, I it know as... he's friends with Lucas. And all, so I guess, yeah, and he, he, just, he, he like, may be seeing what? it as, I don't want to stomp on Lucas either. I mean, right. that was kind of his deal. It was. Um, thing is, outside of Lucas's pre, uh, pre, prequels, which he had complete creative control over, right. the Star Wars franchise, I feel like, has done well. What would Ridley Scott do with Star Wars? Uh Old Ridley Scott from the 80s would have been awesome. Ridley Scott from the last 10 years, eh, maybe not as much. I don't know. Mm. Um, I would love something daring, but I'm not the one bankrolling this either. So, you <laughs> know, that's my thing is I, I think they're making a good you. business decision here. J.J. Uh, Abrams will get butts in the seats and will turn out a, a good film at the minimum. So um, I get it. Good luck to you, Lucas. I mean, I'm, I'm just waiting for episode nine. Uh, or episode eight to come out this, this winter sure. uh, on a side note, episode nine did get delayed from June or July, uh, 2018 or 19 to December, 2019. So basically all three of these star Wars films are hitting on December every two years. Gotcha. That's what we got. Okay. Chris, your news item. So uh, this is a science fiction movie that I heard about just recently. It's not star Wars, not blade runner, but it is a new film by uh, James Gray. Okay. James Gray is the director who gave us Lost City of Z, or mm -hmm. Zed, if you're mm -hmm. British. Uh, before that, he gave us uh, The Immigrant. Oh, yeah, right. And uh, Two Lovers. So he, those are the type, lovers, type films. A film we showed at a uh, candle film screening. Correct. Mm -hmm. So those are the type of films this guy does. So for him to do science fiction, I thought that was kind of interesting. Yes. Um, Alan, have you caught up with Lost City of Z? I have not, no. I did, wasn't. You know, didn't love it, yeah. but I admit the filmmaking craft is there, just the whole jungle and everything. Um, so to see him do 
a film in outer space is interesting. What's the name of the film? Well, it is called Ad Astra. A-D Ad Astra is the name of it. So kind of a strange name. Uh, Let me tell you kind of what the plot description Mm -hmm. supposedly is going to be. This movie is not going to be out until 2019. So this is early. They're in the process of filming right now. Um, It is the story of a guy who lost his father 20 years ago when he went looking for extraterrestrial life. Mm -hmm. And so he is now going out in the galaxy searching for his lost father. Okay. So that's the general story, which a family dynamic searching, Mm -hmm. you know, after coming off Lost City of Z, you can kind of see why he would be interested in a story about this, except there are aliens everywhere. Right. And here's the cast. All right. Starring is the guy who's going to look for his father, Brad Pitt. Don't know if that helps or hurts Mm. your estimation of this movie. It's a mixed bag. Tommy Lee Jones, I believe, is the lost father. Okay, I could see that. And then we have, rounding out the cast, we have Donald Sutherland and Ruth Nega. Ruth Nega was in Loving. And she's actually been in um, the zombie movie, World War Z, Mm -hmm. with Brad Pitt. So they were actually in that movie together. So anyways, um, they've actually been in a movie together before. That's the cast. Interesting director. Interesting subject matter for him. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm, I'm... Curious, but <laughs> yeah, none of James Gray's movies have just blown me away. Um, you know, I saw Two Lovers. I've seen The Immigrant. Yeah, they were fine. They were good movies. I mean, you know, I, I, I like Two Lovers, um, but you know, no, nothing's really grabbed me and said, oh, I've got to keep watching what this guy's making film-wise. Sure. So, and then Brad Pitt's not an actor that I say I, I have to see what he's doing next as well. Uh, that's Michael Fassbender for me or somebody of that. And Brad Pitt's not that level actor for me. Gotcha. Um, but that's not to say Brad Pitt doesn't make good choices on some films. I think he does pick some interesting projects. So I'm curious, but I'm not terribly excited yet. I would love to see like when the first images from the film come out to see what kind of style we're talking about and how this movie's going to look. That may, that may make me a little more interested at that point. Fair enough. Yeah. Let me cap off with just our, our third and final. This will be a really a, a shorter one because we've actually talked about this this production before. Okay. Mainly because it just seems so bizarre that this is even happening. Um, we're getting close to Halloween time. Yes. October uh, is coming up soon. This film will not be out till October 2018, but it is coming out pretty much at Halloween. Okay. And the film is Halloween. Uh, the 2018 version of Halloween. We talked about it before. Directed by David Gordon Green. So it is still happening. It is It is more than just happening. It is moving okay. ahead. Um, Danny McBride is involved in the production as well. They are... The question's been, are they remaking Halloween or are they continuing the Halloween story? That's been the big question for a long time. Gotcha. I think I just received a piece of news that clarifies exactly where this happens story-wise. Because a Miss Jamie Lee Curtis has been signed on to play in the new Halloween, and she will be playing a character called um, the the girl she played in the original Halloween. Okay. So Laurie Schrode. So obviously, if Jamie Lee Curtis, unless they're planning on de aging her digitally throughout the movie, <laughs> I mean, nothing would surprise it's me possible. these days. So. Um, she will probably be playing a mature Laurie Strode, which means we are looking at a continuation of story somehow. Hmm. Now, I'm still really curious the fact that David Gordon Green is involved and he's writing the screenplay. Hmm. They're not, you know, they're supposedly making this a very true to the, the Halloween franchise. It's supposedly skipping over any of the Halloween sequels and really trying to play off the original one. 
And John Carpenter has actually read the screenplay, met with David Gordon Green. I think he's got signing on as a producer. Is he going to use some of the music for it? I don't know. He might. And he's very excited about what the guys are doing. Huh. Supposedly, John, John Carpenter has not been really involved with a lot of the later Halloween. Didn't Rob Zombie do Rob something? Zombie did two versions of did it. Did two of them. I don't think uh, John Carpenter was all connected with those films. Gotcha. And I think John Carpenter, from what I read, was only involved with Halloween 1. He helped produce Halloween 2. And was somehow involved with Halloween 3, but then just kind of dropped off. He didn't want anything to do with the films after that. Gotcha. So for him to kind of sign back on and say, yep, I'm on board. Let me help. That's a good sign normally. Um, <laughs> take the original creator and, and, and get his blessing, I guess, in a way. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just curious. And I wouldn't be that curious if it wasn't for David Gordon Green and mm-hmm. Danny, uh, Danny, uh, McBride. Danny McBride being involved. <laughs> that just makes me raise my eyebrow and say, huh, this could be something a little different and a little interesting. So there again, that's all I wanted to throw out there. Just okay. her announcement of her casting just came in the last couple of days. So that clarifies a few things. I was not the biggest fan of the original Halloween. I actually did not think it was a very good movie. Um, <laughs> and I don't think I've ever seen any of the sequels. So I'm I not have... a Halloween expert, but that's actually what's making me more interested now is that what can they do to make me appreciate the original and continue that storyline better? I saw the original. I've seen the original, and I think that's the only one I've seen. And yeah. it was a long time ago when yeah. I saw it. I, I, I just don't think it's a good movie. <laughs> I mean, but maybe it's watching it retrospectively. If I've watched it back in the 70s when it first came out, maybe sure. I would have felt differently. So, sure. <laughs> Well, Chris, we're wrapping up near the end of the show, but the last thing we want to do before we break is uh, go and give our recommendations of a film that we want people to check out or, or uh, try to seek out if they have a chance uh, before we end the show. And Chris... Can I go ahead and toss it to you to see if you want to give us your recommendation for this episode? Absolutely. With Halloween coming up, like you mentioned, mm-hmm. I'm going to go ahead and recommend a 2007 film. This okay. is from a while ago, uh, Murder Party, and it's hmm. by Jeremy Saulnier, and it is a comedy horror. <laughs> comedy horror. So, yes. Jeremy Saulnier, he was Blue Ruin and The Green Room, correct? Correct, correct. Okay. So This movie does not have a color in the title. It doesn't, though. strangely yeah. enough. Interesting. Um, but it does have Macon Blair, who was in those two movies. He was mm-hmm. the star of Blue Ruin. He's also in uh, this film. Okay. It is a comedy, but it does have like blood and guts, and it's kind of you could say it's a spoof of horror movies i mm-hmm. guess in a way yeah. um but the idea is that this guy finds a random invitation to a halloween party and he goes but then basically he becomes the subject they're they're going to murder him so mm-hmm. he gets an invitation and he gets <laughs> there and he finds out that the whole deal was to lure somebody in and then kill them um wow. so yeah okay. it sounds really dark i mean the idea is dark but the movie is actually pretty funny um I don't really want to give a whole lot away, mm-hmm. but um, I found it to be pretty funny. And I don't go in for like horror movies. There yeah. is a lot of blood, um, but it's just done like as if Quentin Tarantino was making a scream movie. Maybe is how you would come about it. Um, but I can definitely see Jeremy Saulnier's fingerprints on this movie. And even though you can tell it is extremely low budget, I mean, it was mm. 2007. So I think it's pretty much his first film. Yeah. Um, I found it enjoyable to watch. It was funny. Um, also, kind of scary, I guess. Hmm. Um, but I recommend it. You can see it on Amazon. I think iTunes, it's also available. So, Murder Party 2007. Murder Party. Yep. And, and good, you know, it's also a nice running time. It's 80 minutes. Ooh, wow. So, that's a Chris Fry approved running time. Right. <laughs> so. For a hard movie. So, even if you don't like it, it's over before you know it. So, All there's right. that. 
Uh, okay, so murder party. Murder party. I, I honestly had not heard of that one, so that's uh, that's that's cool. Good. Thanks for the recommendation. Mm-hmm. All right, so mine is a little self-serving, okay. and then I'm recommending a film that I know that we will be showing at our Foot Candle Film Festival in about eh, a little over a week from the time you're, that we're recording this. Hopefully, some of you are catching this before the festival, and if you're not, uh, stay tuned. I'm sure we'll be doing some form of a recap of the festival in a future episode. But I want to recommend the film We're Still Together. We're actually going to be playing it Sunday, I believe at 2 o'clock on our festival. So it's the next to the last film we show over the festival weekend. This is a film I caught up with at another film festival, which has encouraged me to try to reach out and see if they would submit to ours. And happy to see that it got the kind of rating, uh, the feedback from our committees to bring it to the festival. So We're Still Together, directed by Jesse Klein, written by Jesse Klein as well. Uh, it, it follows two two characters. Uh, one of them is Chris. He is a, uh, uh, I believe, maybe a high school student or in that kind of high school, almost college age kid. And uh, he's bullied quite a bit. He is, uh, you know, kind of a large, overweight uh, kid, uh, bullied quite a bit. And the movie starts very, very sharply. And he's being harassed and bullied by a couple of kids. And a man is sitting in a car right on the street near the event happening and sees it happening and gets out and helps break it up and basically protects this kid. From there, the two of them take and spend basically the next almost 24 hours, I think, together. Uh, the idea is that they're intertwining lives. Uh, the character that's played by Joey Klein, who is actually, I think, the brother of the director and writer, Jesse Klein, okay. plays Bobby. Bobby is, he is a loose cannon. He is unpredictable. He is a man with a lot of dark secrets. There's a man, he's a man with a lot of past history that we learn about over the course of the film. Jesse Camacho plays Chris, the young, the younger boy that he kind of, I don't want to say befriends because they have a very interesting relationship throughout the course of the film. What I liked about this film is, is uh, especially the character of Bobby, the destructive Bobby, because I know some people like this where it's just, they just cannot ever do just exactly the right thing. Hmm. And they're dealing with their fast mistakes, but they're not willing to own up to them. And they still want to push ahead in their own self-destructive manner. I thought Joey Klein was really, really good in this film playing that character, Bobby. I mean, he just played such a character I could, I, that I've seen. I've, I've met somebody like that in the flesh and I, I feel like he nailed that part. Sure. The Jesse Camacho also really good as the younger, very kind of insecure, but also starts to develop a little bit throughout the film as well as Chris. So it's it. I thought it was a really interesting film. I, I like the dynamic between the two lead characters. I like the directions it took. I like the ending of the film because it just left you with enough wonder of what the next step was for each of these characters. Uh, I just thought it was really well done. And, uh, you know, it, it, I feel like this, you've got to have two really strong characters to carry. It. And I thought, I thought both were good. I thought Joey Klein as Bobby, the the older, more destructive um, character, was extremely, extremely well played. So it is playing at our festival. I, I think it's good. It, it's not a film for everybody. I think, you know, some will really appreciate it. I think some maybe maybe have a harder time with it. But uh, I, I think it's really interesting and it's definitely one to talk about. I'm more excited about talking about it with our festival crowd after the film than maybe even just seeing it again. So um, that is We're Still Together playing uh, on Sunday, our closing day of the film festival. And uh, we'll look forward to kind of getting some feedback from our audience after that's done. 
Great. So that is our recommendations. Uh, you know, if you're not able to come to the Candle Film Festival, I still encourage you to seek this movie out whenever it's available online or through other other methods. But speaking of the festival, Chris, we got to let people know just this is the last last time to mention it. That's right. You're not going to hear us talk about the festival in the future tense for quite a while. <laughs> we'll talk about it a little bit in the past tense before we gear up for next year. But we do have a three-day festival starting September 22nd, going through September 24th of 2017, here in Hickory, North Carolina, at the beautiful Salt Block Auditorium, the Drendel Auditorium at the Salt Block uh, near downtown. And we start Friday morning. And we go through Sunday afternoon. We have a opening night, uh, a Friday night of some great short films that we'll be showing a collection of, as well as our night gallery selections later that evening. Some of the more uh, out there, shorter films and ones that maybe more for a, a grown up crowd. Uh, Saturday is films all day. Sunday are films all day. And then we end with our closing ceremony Sunday evening with a dinner in our award ceremony, giving out awards for best documentary, best narrative. Best short film and audience favorite award from the weekend. So, Chris, I'm terribly excited. I know you are. I Anything am. else we need to share with the audience before we forget and move on? I don't think so. The only thing that um, I'll say, too, is if you want to leave us a note about this show, movies we might want to watch, or you disagree with some of our takes, you think Logan Lucky was amazing, <laughs> you can send us an email at info at the mesh.tv and just mention Foot Candle Films in the subject line, and we'll uh, be sure to read your comments. Absolutely. We'd love to hear from you. Please look us up on iTunes, on the podcast store, and give us a star rating or give us a feedback review. That's a great way for other people to find our show as well. And if you are going to be coming to Western North Carolina uh, after you hear this show for our festival, please drop us a note. Let us know. We'd love to connect with you and, and say hi in person. It's always fun to do. So, Chris, let's wrap it up. Uh, great show. Reviews of Step, reviews of Logan Lucky, reviews of It, and then some great movie news and a couple recommendations. Sounds like a pretty good full episode to me. Let's go ahead and put a button on it and call it a day. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.